This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. One of the most important cases involving First Amendment guarantees of speech and religion was recently argued before the Supreme Court of the United States. The case is the National Institute of Family and Life Advocates versus Becerra. The state of California enacted a law demanding that licensed pro-life pregnancy centers must post advertisements for low-cost or free abortion services. Also, it demands that if an unlicensed pro-life center advertises, it must also post a 26-word disclaimer in large font in up to 13 different languages in the same ad. California says it's simply defending pregnant women who might mistake a pro-life center for an abortion center. Nifla says it's a blatant attempt to silence the pro-life message and further forces people and organizations to speak and write things in violation of the consciences, compelled speech in other words. The case for Nifla was argued by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF CEO and Chief Counsel Michael Ferris, who actually argued the case, is my guest on today's World Lutheran News Digest. And now, today's Fast Track. Missouri is one step closer to protecting pain-capable unborn babies after the House moved forward with a bill to ban abortions at 20 weeks. The Pain-Capable Unborn Child Protection Act received House lawmakers' initial approval on Monday. The bill prohibits abortions after 20 weeks, except when there is a risk to the mother's life or loss of a major bodily function. The State House must vote again before the bill can move to the State Senate. A federal 20-week abortion ban failed to pass the U.S. Senate in January because there were not enough votes to overcome a pro-abortion Democrat's filibuster. Yesterday, First Liberty Institute and attorneys with Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher filed front-of-the-court brief with the United States District Court for the Southern District of Texas in defense of opening a justice court with an invocation. The case stems from a lawsuit against Montgomery County, Texas, in which an atheist group filed a complaint against Wayne Mack, a justice of the peace for the county, for allowing invocations at the start of court sessions. The Tennessee legislature has passed a bill that would require all public schools in the state to display the words, In God We Trust, in prominent locations. The governor, Republican Bill Haslam, is expected to sign the legislation soon. The law will go into effect immediately upon the governor's signature. The Archdiocese of Washington was in court on Monday, arguing that the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority's ban on any religious-themed advertisements is unconstitutional. In October of last year, the Transit Authority rejected a series of ads from the Archdiocese which featured a biblical scene and a message about attending Mass and donating to charity. The ads were intended to run during the Christmas season. Despite the supposed ban on religious-themed advertisements, the Authority did display an advertisement for the Salvation Army after it rejected the Archdiocese advertisements. The Salvation Army is an ecclesial community that has a large charity drive during the Christmas season. The U.S. Department of Justice has filed an amicus brief in support of the Archdiocese of Washington in January. Two different marches claim to voice America's youth and boast youthful crowds, but that doesn't mean that they're treated the same by the media. 
In reaction to Saturday's March for Our Lives, multiple writers and commentators took to Twitter to call out the media for discrepancies in coverage between gun control rally and the March for Life. The broadcast networks covered the March for Our Lives 13 times more than the pro-life march the night of each event. To get that idea of how much ABC, CBS, and NBC devoted to the last protest, they also covered it four times more than the Women's March. World Liquor News Digest will be back right after these messages. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth across the room to a speaker system in your home or listen on radios that have built-in smartphone cradles. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org on the air, online, and on demand. We proclaim the clear gospel message of Christ crucified for our sins. The messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. Pastor Matt Youngblood Clark from Ascension Lutheran in St. Louis. And I am Pastor Jolly John Lekumski from St. Paul's in New Athens and Trinity in Darmstadt, and we welcome you to listen to Wrestling with the Basics. Let go of me, man. No, it's not real wrestling. We're just talking about Bible issues. Oh, 905 Saturday mornings, 8.50 a.m. KFUO. Usted está escuchando el resumen de noticias Mundo Luterano. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm Kip Allen, host of World Lutheran News Digest. My guest today is Mr. Michael Ferris. He's the CEO and Chief Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom. Mr. Ferris recently argued before the Supreme Court the case of NIFLA, in which the state of California is demanding that pro-life pregnancy centers somehow have to advertise for abortions. Mr. Ferris, welcome to the program. Hi, Kip. It's great to be with you. Well, thank you very much. Uh, we've been following this case very, very closely, and the LCMS indeed has filed an amicus brief in the case. You argued before the Supreme Court against the state of California. Their solicitor general there was arguing in favor of the uh, bill. How did this go? Well, it went very well. Um, the judges asked very lively questions, as is typical, and uh, most legal commentators uh, shared my enthusiasm for uh, the way the hearing went. Uh, it, it, we're very, very hopeful of a positive outcome. There were a number of specific issues that were raised in this. Uh, the First Amendment, of course, ha has a huge role in this. It's one thing to restrict speech or to stifle speech, and it's another thing to demand speech. And in this case, seems to revolve around the state demanding that organizations speak out against their own beliefs. Is that what this boils down to? Yes, uh, although there's a little bit of complexity to that. Um, California has 
regulated pro-life centers of two different kinds. One are fully licensed centers, and the other are non-medical centers where they get support, practical help, and all kinds of uh, good services for pregnant women who have needs. And the, the requirements vary. For the licensed centers, they're required to put up what amounts to an ad for abortion services. It's uh, two sentences that directs women to the state and tells them how they can get qualified to have free and low-cost abortions. And so the, as a matter of principle, the pro-life centers refuse to do, do that, of course. They uh, refuse in any way to facilitate abortions. For the unlicensed non-medical centers, uh, what the state does there is to put uh, a lengthy requirement uh, to um, put a disclaimer in all their advertising. And the, the kicker is that the 29-word disclaimer that basically says we don't provide medical services in far longer words than that um, has to be in the larger font than the ad itself or in the same size font with special colors, which, and it, uh, depending on what county you live in, it has to be in multiple languages. In Los Angeles County has to be 13 different languages. And so the, the goal there is simply to crowd out the ad and make it impossible for the pro-life centers to advertise so that women will never come in the first place. So all said and done, California is trying to shut down the effectiveness of the pro-life centers. Well, that was one uh, question I think that was raised both by uh, conservative and liberal justices in the case, was that it seemed that this law is specifically targeted just against a group whose speech the state doesn't approve of. Well, that, that's exactly right. It's one of the core arguments that we made is we showed how the statute actually worked because it, it sounds like it's going to apply to um, a broad range of doctors. But then when you start reading the, the, the details and realize all private doctors are exempted, all abortion uh, facilities if they're owned for profit are exempted, uh, all nonprofit clinics are exempted as long as they do full services, and then all nonprofit pregnancy centers are exempted if they agree to give the morning after pill. And so we, you read all those things together, and the only people left standing are the pro-life pregnancy centers. And so the bill is gerrymandered uh, to accomplish exactly that result. Well, for example, uh, they would require pro-life pregnancy centers to post uh, advertisements for abortion centers, but abortion centers are not required by any means to uh, post a similar notice for adoption agencies. Well, that's true uh, uh, enough, and, and moreover, the notice itself, they, they claim that they want all women to know all their options, but when they tell them what their options are, they leave out the fact that the state will pay for labor and delivery. So if an abortion center was actually required to post the notice, they wouldn't have any problem with it because it, it, it says that the state will pay for abortions, but doesn't say that the pay, state will pay for labor and delivery. So, you know, they like that kind of imbalanced, slanted message. In terms of the unlicensed uh, pro-life centers, uh, I believe one of the arguments that was raised was if... Uh, for example, they were to take out a billboard that says, simply says, choose life. They would then be forced on that same billboard to put that notice that you talked about in numerous different languages that would actually be bigger than the message itself. That's tr true. And, and we've actually done the math on that. And it would require a billboard larger or about the same size as 
the jumbotron at Dallas Cowboy Stadium to be able to hold all the disclaimers. If you just have the words "choose life" and a phone number up, and that's it, uh, and the disclaimers themselves would take up the vast majority of the of the jumbotron. So, it effectively drives people out of the business of advertising, and that's what it's designed to do. They don't want people to ever come into those facilities at all. And I believe the uh, Attorney General for California himself actually said that was the case with those signs. That was not uh, something that was just pulled out of the out of the air. No, he, he ultimately admitted that that was the correct reading of the law. <laughs> it's You look at these things, and it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, is there precedence for the government at a state level or a federal level, to mandate speech? Has this ever been done in the nation's history? Certainly, it's been done, and and it's also been found to be unconstitutional almost all the times. We mandated that people say the Pledge of Allegiance is a condition of going to public schools, and uh, there was a very ugly history of that for a while, and Jehovah Witnesses at first were compelled to do it, and then later the Supreme Court relented and reversed themselves. Uh, um, there have been other um, mandates uh, given, um, and um, fundraisers in North Carolina had a case to go to the Supreme Court, and the fundraisers won when the state tried to uh, wreck their business with long disclaimers as well. And so there have been a variety of things. Uh, this is probably one of the most political efforts ever made in the, in the nation's history in, in this particular fashion to mandate speech. and. Um, very hopeful that the Supreme Court will continue the tradition of uh, striking such mandates down. I believe it was Justice Sotomayor, correct me if I'm in error on this, but didn't she say that this was simply just another form of of, uh, informed consent? She was making that argument repeatedly, yes, um, and required me to answer her questions, as as, um, similar questions were asked by Justice Ginsburg uh, of me. And the, 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 there's a big difference between all doctors who are going to do a serious medical procedure are required to give you informed consent for that procedure. Um, and they have to tell you the risks, the benefits, and alternatives. And the, um, um, because that's a regulation ultimately of conduct. Uh, it's, it's somewhat similar to a, uh, an employer being required to put up signs that tell employees about minimum wage. Uh, it's really not a speech requirement standing by itself. It's, it's, the real requirement is you've got to pay minimum wage, and the sign just simply implements that, that duty. And informed consent is the same. You, you, you know, before you can do the surgery, you've got to get actual consent, and that requires some words to be said, but uh, no one has ever successfully contended that that violates free speech because it's just getting consent to do a, a surgery or a serious procedure. But what our centers do isn't surgery or isn't isn't considered a medical intervention. Just just like taking someone's temperature is not considered a medical intervention. You go to the doctor, they take your temperature. You don't file, you don't sign informed consent requirements for taking your temperature. You you do that when they're going to take out the scalpel and and uh, do surgery. And so there's a big difference there. And and uh, I, I think the court is going to get there. And one of the things that uh, was very uh, encouraging about that whole discussion is the justice that wrote the opinion that we were all squabbling about is uh, on the court. Justice Kennedy wrote wrote the opinion in question, and he knows what he said, and, and uh, I'm, I'm confident that he will uh, interpret that opinion correctly. 
I read an article by uh, Mr. Paul French uh, from National Review Online. In fact, I even interviewed him on this. Uh, one case that we have been following very closely, of course, has been the Masterpiece Cake Shop uh, piece. Uh, but he says that this is by far more important. It, it really hits to more core issues. And it's really going to be one of the pivotal uh, decisions that the Supreme Court is going to have to make in this session. Would you uh, concur with that? Well, uh, since our organization represents both Masterpiece and uh, NIFLA, um, you know, we, uh, we think they're both very important. And, but I, I do think that there are uh, broader implications um, uh, in many respects about the, the wide-open nature of the government's claims in the NIFLA case. And so um, the, uh, but both are, are very important, and we need to win both of them, frankly. Another uh, situation that has been arising recently have been cases where LBGT groups are challenging Christian or faith-based adoption agencies, and I believe that ADF has uh, worked is involved in that as well. Uh, this, I think, is something that is uh, again is a very serious concern to us. The only people who are getting hurt by this are children. When uh, suddenly, uh, like in my, our neighboring state of Illinois, uh, Catholic Services was uh, barred from doing any adoption work in that state, or at least for uh, contracted with the state. And that simply takes the kids out and puts them on an overburdened state system, one that's been, in the case of Illinois, has been rife with corruption. Well, the uh, architects of political correctness uh, know no bounds to their um, ideology. They, they, they think that, that we all need to bow the knee and be coerced to join their u- utopian schemes. And, you know, it would be one thing if a same-sex couple couldn't get services for adoptions, which is not the case. If, 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 but it's another to force a Christian adoption agency to violate their faith in the way that they help with adoptions. They, they should be able to do it in, in, in a manner consistent with their faith. And so um, it's... The, the, where this is headed is, um, you know, to take the abortion context in particular, if you, if you refuse to be trained in abortions, if you refuse to perform abortions, you're going to lose your medical license. And so that's what's going on in Europe right now. And we, have a, we actually have a case about that in the European Court of Human Rights, uh, where nurses from Scandinavia and midwives from Scandinavia are being uh, forced out of the medical practice because they refuse to participate in abortions. And so um, that's the next step. And, and so uh, if we don't bow the knee to um, the political forces of the day, uh, they're going to have what amounts to heresy prosecutions for us to refuse to participate in their new found faith. Well, one of the things we're seeing, uh, I believe, is an intensification on the uh, part of the uh, secular groups and the LBGT groups against Christians. Uh, I noticed, for example, that Media Matters has suddenly jumped into the uh, fray on this thing. Uh, they, Even though they were uh, a left-wing organization, they were pretty much silent on the issue, for example, of, a, of uh, adoption. Now, suddenly they've come in and they've actually attacked the ADF. This is a new uh, front that's been opened on them. Yeah, they, along with the Southern Poverty Law Center, are uh, bound to determine that anyone who disagrees with them on uh, issues, of, you know, particularly the cluster of issues surrounding same-sex marriage, that we should be branded as hate groups and 
driven out of public discourse. And, and so that kind of, of approach really is anti-American at its core because we have long cherished the ideal that I may disagree with everything you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. And that's gone. I mean, free speech should be for everybody. I mean, one of the things I defended in the, in the court were hypotheticals involving um, pro-abortion groups that wanted to, you know, if a pro-life state tried to force a, a pro-abortion group who was just talking about abortion to give a pro-life message, that would be just as unconstitutional as what's going on here in California. And so uh, free speech does need to be for everybody. And, and people I, I disagree with should have the right of free speech. But the, uh, the people on the left uh, have lost that touch and, and are now trying to silence and shun and deprive of resources and shut down banking service and insurance services and all kinds of things for groups who only have the misfortune, I guess, of disagreeing with them on same-sex issues, that there is a vitriol there that is unparalleled in American history. One tactic that I see in being used increasingly is to say that a pro-life uh, argument is hate speech, it's racist, therefore it does not warrant a, a response. It's not even so much silencing, it's just saying, well, you don't have anything worth saying. Yeah, they, they, that's, that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to marginalize people by, by labeling, not by analysts, not by any fair debate, not by any, any real sense of what's going on. And, and people who do that are so weak that they know they can't win substantive arguments. If, if you think that the only way you can win the argument is to silence your opponent, it just t- shows you that you're arguing something that is uh, pretty hard to defend. Where do you think the Supreme Court's going to go on this? What, well, I know that's a, that's a fool's question. Excuse me. <laughs> Nobody knows what the Supreme Court's going to do. But what does ADF consider to be the optimal ruling for the Supreme, from the Supreme Court on these issues? Well, I mean... Um, we're very hopeful that we're going to win both uh, the NIFLA case and the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. Uh, the exact vote, uh, I, 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 I can't say. Um, you know, not, not that I don't want to say or I'm unwilling to say. I just, you know, it's beyond my capacity to figure that out. And so it's, uh, but, but we do feel very good about our, our chances. And, and that's based on, you know, looking at what the what happened at the oral arguments and what the court said and what the court has said in previous occasions, and so you, you know, there's no guarantees of anything, but but we are hopeful. Assuming that you win these two cases, is that the end of that issue, or are there more fights to be had concerning oh, this? No, there's no, it's not the end of the issue. It gives us a chance. I mean, it's a really important victory, and it gives us a tremendous. Um, um, legacy for that will be important for a decade or or longer, probably you know m- maybe two or three decades. But you can count on the forces of the ACLU and Southern Poverty Law Center and Media Matters and others, um, the National Abortion Rights Actually and others, continue their march to try to do everything they can to silence those with whom they disagree. And so we will continue to have to fight and. Uh, um, you know, anybody that thinks that this is over um, doesn't understand the determination of the, uh, of the people on the other side. 
Well, sir, we've covered a lot uh, on this station with the uh, about the ADF and similar groups. But could you uh, let the audience know a little bit more about Alliance Defending Freedom, how they can find out about the organization and how they can support it? Certainly. Thank you. Um, ADF is uh, 24 years old and um, coming, you know, getting real close to our 25th anniversary. It is uh, by far the largest litigating organization in the world uh, dealing with issues of religious freedom, uh, freedom of speech, traditional marriage, uh, family-related issues, and um, the right to life. And so uh, we have um, 11 offices around the world. Uh, we fight principally in the United States, but um, about four or five years ago, began a substantial work uh, around the world, and we've argued and won um, seven cases in the last seven years in the Supreme Court, and we have two more pending right now. So we're before the court um, a lot. You know, with the best of the private law firms, we're, we're right up there with the frequency before the Supreme Court. And uh, our um, people can go to our website, uh, adflegal.org, um, and uh, we'd love to have their uh, participation and support because these things cost a lot of money to be able to do this at the, at the right level. And, um, you know, the Lord has been very, very gracious and blessed us. And our theme verse is John fifteen five. without Christ we can do nothing, to which we also uh, like to say, uh, through Christ we can do anything. And, and that's what we believe that we're trying to do, is to uh, win generational-type victories on the right-to-life issue, on marriage, and in protecting families and free speech. And uh, the ADF is funded through people like me and like uh, like you. Uh, like hundreds of thousands of people who give from five bucks a year to a lot a year. And so we need people. Um, and and to me, the more the merrier. I would I would frankly rather have a million people giving a hundred dollars than one person giving a hundred million dollars because I've got a whole lot more prayer support behind. Uh, the million people giving $100. Yeah, once again, that website is adflaw.org. adflaw.org. ADF Legal. I'm sorry, adflegal.org. adflegal.org. Mr. Ferris, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your day to let us know what's going on in this fight, and God bless you and your efforts, and God bless the ADF. Thank you so much. World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.